What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, and you're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join me this week on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time to get in on the action. In today's episode, I want to talk about what we saw in Game 1 of the NBA Finals. The lessons learned that could be applied to the Trailblazers or maybe just any team chasing down the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And then I want to close the show talking about the case for blowing up the Blazers. I don't know if I've, I've landed on the Blazers needing a rebuild. In fact, I know that I haven't. But I think I've, I've made it to the point where I'm looking for big old structural changes. And I've got my argument and an academic study that backs up that case. But first, let's talk about the NBA Finals. The Phoenix Suns took down the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 1 of the Finals to take a 1-0 lead. Chris Paul, really good. Devin Booker, really good. DeAndre Ayton, fantastic. But more than just a recap of the game, in fact, I'm not going to recap the game at all, uh, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend you listen to Kane Pittman, host of Locked on Bucks, and Brendan Clean, host of Locked on Suns. Both do an absolutely wonderful job covering those teams, and you can check out their coverage of the finals there. But what I want to do here is talk about the lessons learned from this game and how they can be applied to the Trailblazers. Not maybe not specifically the Trailblazers. Like I think there's stuff that can be that can be gleaned, but uh, there's not a clean path forward. Like there's a tendency when teams make the NBA Finals to there'll be and you'll read pieces if you're an avid NBA reader, someone who reads a bunch of NBA copy, uh, you'll you'll see the pieces this week. You know how Team X or how any team can emulate uh, what the Suns are doing, and I don't think you can, <laughs> I don't think you can do that. Um, there's just too many steps in the process. It's like be bad for a long time uh, so you get the number one pick, but in addition, absolutely nail your late lottery picks, uh, make the crew trade for Mikhail Bridges, nail the uh, nail the uh, Cam Johnson pick, uh, hire the right coach that people like, maintain clean cap flexibility so you can make the trade for the superstar who eyed your team as a wonderful situation that he wanted to join. Oh yeah, and the like franchise pillar you drafted, make sure that they don't get mad despite never winning more than 30 games for their first five seasons, and they're willing to stick around for a pretty penny. Like... <laughs> Good luck. Good luck threading that needle. I, I don't think you can copy what like the Suns' path here. But what the Suns have is very desirable. Uh, I think the Blazers are probably more, um, well, it's not like a one-to-one comparison. They're more like following the Bucks model, if you will. Like, uh, you know, both Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton joined the team in the same summer. They've been there for an extended period of time. Both both were 2013. Dame was 2012. CJ was 2013. There's some there's some mirrors there. Uh, Blazers, of course, drafted Christian James McCollum ahead of Giannis Antetokounmpo, but that's a story for another day. And also, if other people knew what, what the Bucks thought they knew about Giannis, he wouldn't have uh, been a pick in the teens, right? Uh, but, I, but I think like have two stars, pay them a whole bunch of money, lock them up to stay, and then make aggressive moves around the edges to make that work, like trading a bunch of picks for Drew Holiday. Like that's more repeatable for the Blazers. So if you're if you're reading like a how to repeat what what very good Team X does, like I think the, the Bucks model is more equivalent for the Blazers than the Suns model. Because like I said, I'm not sure... Um, 
I think there's there's just too many steps for the Suns to be good, and and their situation is unique. Uh, but my big takeaway from the from what the Suns have built is that the best teams are scheme proof. They are scheme proof. And if you are a regular listener to this podcast, one of the things I've been kind of watching and monitoring all playoffs long is like the best teams, the teams that have gone deepest into this uh, into the postseason, have been the teams that have. Uh, versatility on defense both in personnel and what they can run like they can they have a bunch of different types of and shapes of players that can guard um you know can guard big wings and big guys and point guards and then they can you know mix and match and give those stars whether they be big wings or point guards or centers you know a couple different looks Blazers don't really have that uh they also Blazers don't aren't weren't a good enough defensive team to play multiple styles um they weren't good at any one style and when they (laughs) when they briefly tried to play zone they weren't very good at that and they went back to sort of what they were comfortable with I think that's still like a thing right like I I don't I'm not saying that game one of the NBA finals has changed that defensive versatility both in personnel and scheme still wildly important still extremely important but my big takeaway from game one is that the best teams are are just scheme resistant. They you can't scheme against them. And what I mean by that is that the Milwaukee Bucks tried a little bit of everything against an elite elite offense in Phoenix, and it didn't matter. The Bucks started out switching one through five, and so what the or, and so what the Suns did was they said, "Cool, we will go after Brook Lopez." So if we know you're going to switch a 1-5 pick and roll or whoever Lopez is guarding, he guarded DeAndre Ayton a little bit, and he would guard uh, Mikael Bridges just to start the possession. Um, in a way to sort of hide him and make him a better help defender, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the the Suns, whoever it was, mostly Chris Paul, but a lot of Devin Booker too, uh, just said, particularly in the first half, Devin Booker, and then Chris Paul late, it was they said, okay, if if uh, if Lopez is in the pick and roll, we're going to go get him. Like if, if he comes to the pick and roll and he's going to just concede the switch, we're going to go get him. And they went and got him. Both of them are mid-range maestros. They did it uh, when the Suns helped and they're worried about it. They kicked out for threes when Lopez didn't, when Lopez tried to give a little space uh, and just like be a space eater, Lopez, or, uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker took threes or took mid-range jumpers or they got past him to the rim because uh, he couldn't eat up that space quickly. They got, they just, they, they flambayed my man in the mid-range and then when he tried to correct that, they they did it in other ways. Uh, the the switching didn't work. So then the Bucks went back to their bread and butter, what they're comfortable with, drop coverage, where Lopez plays f- back from the screen, giving a little space and kind of plays center field um, and, and tries to keep, you know, uh, keep guys away from the rim and force them into contested mid-range jumpers the problem is that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are fantastic shooting contested mid-range jumpers they are scheme proof they're scheme repellent you that's that was two different pick and roll coverages right so then the Bucks tried a couple different other things they went small uh or they went smaller they downsized and put Bobby Portis in there they want to stay kind of big because DeAndre Ayton's so friggin big that he'll kill you on the glass dude had 19 rebounds he's really good and hard to deal with like I said the best teams are scheme resistant scheme repellent scheme impervious I, I was work workshopping that one but I'm not as confident with it so the Bucks, they had gone, they had shown drop coverage, they'd shown, you know, soft switching one through five, kind of like the two, those are two very common looks in the league. And quite frankly, the Clippers were the most successful at slowing down the Suns offense of anyone in these playoffs. And it was with a bunch of switching, keeping guys in front, going small and, and switching a bunch and just taking the Suns out of what they wanted to do. So I, I like, I think switching has proven to be probably the most effective because the other option are to show on like trap and show hard on, on, um, on pick and rolls or hedge and try to recover. And I don't 
think you want to get caught in rotations against the Suns. In fact, late in the game with Giannis Antetokounmpo at the five, the Bucks did exactly that, and it led immediately to a DeAndre Ayton dunk because they showed two at the ball with Chris Paul. He gets the ball out of his hands quickly, and because they're playing a smaller, speedier lineup, the backline defender is Pat Connaughton. He's the low, he's the lowest man in the pick and roll, so it's his job to come over and help at the rim. And DeAndre Ayton is much larger than Pat Connaughton. It was a non, he was a non-factor in that in that situation. So, sort of my big takeaway is like you know after I've been so obsessed with uh, versatility, defensive versatility, both in personnel and plan. I, I think my takeaway from game one is that the best teams, like the teams that are that are capable of winning a championship, just you can't scheme them out of what they want to do. The Suns want to um, they want to spread you out and run pick and rolls with DeAndre Ayton diving to the rim and that being scary. And he they want to let you know Booker and Booker and CP get in positions where they can make decisions and then uh, move the ball off those decisions with shooters and smart playmakers, smart playmakers around them. Uh, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson are are you know smart passers. I've been really impressed with Jay Crowder's uh, passing ability. He's not this like elite playmaker, pick and roll maestro, but his ability to make it the right decision out of um, when defenses are scrambled has been really good in these playoffs. And so my takeaway here is like, even the teams with that defensive versatility and the willingness to show a couple different looks and go small, you know, stay traditionally big and go small and show, you know, literally four different uh, coverage uh coverages not a ton of the of the hedging and double teaming stuff but i think that's just that's just not a good not a good look against this suns team i do you do not um you know i read a story from in on the basketballnews.com from nikaias duncan and he really convinced me that if the suns get you in defensive rotations your night's done anyway so you might as well pack it in so i don't think you want to do that and this is the they are scheme resistance and i think that's sort of if you're thinking about like how the blazers get to that next level it's that there isn't an obvious way to guard them because if you show them a look they'll exploit it right now the blazers are not there and the and then that's maybe the mark of the best teams is that there is they can get to what they want to get to in a variety of ways the suns won this game because their defense was awesome their offense kept going and going and going and going but they had a comfortable lead because the bucks couldn't score against them you need both sides of the ball but my big takeaway from game one is that the absolute best teams the team, at least as we stand here today on Tuesday evening, most likely to take home that Larry O'Brien trophy is is a team that is scheme resistant. Their offense is too good and their best players are too smart to get caught in schemes. In the second segment, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about my plans for the Blazers tearing it down. Uh, no big rebuild, nothing like that, but I think the Blazers need a... a massive reorganization. I think that I think it's time to make big big sweeping changes to this team and take a risk. So that's what we will talk about in the second segment. But first, a reminder. This episode is brought to you by Green Room. Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans and other NBA insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. It doesn't just have to be the NBA, it's anything you really could imagine in the sports world. I'll be hosting the Locked On Blazers room once a week. You can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here in real time. Uh, I really enjoyed using uh, Green Room, uh, formerly known as, as Locker Room, but now Green Room. So you've heard me talk about this a bunch. I've been using it for, for a couple months. Uh, it, it's basically a live version of this podcast, a live radio show. There's a chat function where you can ask questions. You can request to come on stage. I've had regular listeners to this show join me in the Green Room chat so they can come on stage and we can have, you know, a back and forth that maybe you're craving sometimes when you're yelling at my, my opinions that, are, that you don't necessarily agree with. 
Or perhaps sometimes I don't totally understand your mailbag question. You want to get some clarification there. In any case, uh, Green Room is the place to do that. It's just, it's the best place to join in on the conversation. So like I said, join me this week, Wednesday at 6 p.m. All you got to do is download the free Green Room app, currently available on all iOS devices and in beta form on Android devices. So if you have a mobile phone, chances are you can get in on the app, create a profile, join the NBA group, and uh, be sure to follow me on there at Mike G. Rich, and you will get updates when I go live. It's a lot of fun. Hope to see you there. Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. All right. A reminder that all of our NBA playoff coverage and NBA Finals coverage, now that we're there, we're finally through Game 1, is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So we talked about what the Blazers can learn from the teams in the NBA Finals and, and, and what we saw in Game 1, but I want to talk about uh, the sort of theoretical approach to the Blazers offseason. I mean that both in like my like my theory, I'm not going to talk like super deep specifics here, but I also mean a, a theoretical approach to team building. Uh, a listener, Alex, who is the host of the Northwest Sports Balls podcast that you can find wherever you download podcasts, sent me this uh, article way back when, uh, actually, uh, in April, uh, Alex sent this my way, and finally, now that we've made it to the offseason, it's time to dive in a little deeper on, a, on, on an academic article that I found really fascinating. It's called Tacit Knowledge as a Source of Competitive Advantage in the National, National Basketball Association, and it was published in the Academy of Management. Uh, it's, it's written by Sean L. Berman. Jonathan Down and Charles W.L. Hill. Now, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> They're academics who, who wrote an interesting paper. This was published back in uh, 2017, but it uses data from the NBA to find support for the positive relationship between shared team experience and team performance that declines as shared experience grows and eventually becoming negative. So what that means is basically that continuity in the near term is a bonus for teams and the longer teams stay together, they actually get worse. Does that sound like the Portland Trailblazers, a team that's been held together for a long time? So I want to address the sort of specifics of that article in the third segment. But uh, here in segment number two, I, I just want to give my sort of argument for blowing the team up. Um, I don't know if I'm fully on board with this, but I, I think I can make a compelling case for why the Blazers need dramatic change this offseason. We will we'll get to the academic support to close the show, but for now, this is sort of just the uh, the non-academic support, the, the basketball fan in me making the case for it. So the Blazers enter this wildly important offseason, the most important and, and most tenuous offseason of the Damian Lillard era, certainly of the post-Lamarcus Aldridge era of Damian Lillard in Portland, when it's been clearly his team, right? They There is pressure, whether it is explicit or implicit, for them to go ahead and, and improve dramatically. Uh, and and how that takes form, like whether it's, whether it's just... Chauncey Billups pushes this team to the next level and a change in coaching staff uh, puts them over the top, which uh, I just don't, I don't think it's that simple alone, but whether it's that or it's like a dramatic roster reconstruction, something's got to give, right? Like they, they just need to get better. The results need to get better regardless of sort of the route they take there. So I think, I, but I think what I've sort of just enumerated are the two routes. Like you can, you can say getting a new coach is going to help enough. This roster is pretty darn good. Uh, we think 
we think we can get there if we have better health and a new coach, like fresh eyes and a new coaching staff that will that will take you know a more dramatic step forward, um, and 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 take that next leap and be a Western Conference Finals or an NBA Finals type team, or it's we need to make dramatic changes because Damian Lord is is pushing us to win now. Like all the reporting and all the sort of all the like public reporting and also kind of like the reading between the lines suggests that Dame is. Uh, impatient maybe not impatient but anxious to like to get to get to higher heights he does not want to be stuck on the hamster wheel so my sort of argument for doing this is that you know what this team can be and you've seen it and while Chauncey Billups might be might end up being a much more effective coach than Terry Stotts I don't think there's like definitive proof in either direction but I, I I think um it wouldn't be a shocking turn of events if uh, Billups is a more effective communicator than Stotts was at the end of his reign. I mean, it's just like having fresh eyes is going to help. Um, and, you know, after nine seasons in one spot, uh, coaches tend to, you know, that's why coaches don't stick around that long. Terry Stotts is one of the longest tenure coaches in the league. So, like, I think there's a reasonable idea that um, just just changing the coach alone could help. But but my my thought is that while they could get marginally better, the like biggest, the most important thing is talent in this league. And the Blazers need, if not like an injection of like a great deal of talent, which is sort of hard to come by, at least it's sort of new looking talent. So my argument for blowing the team up is like, you know what Damon CJ can be. You kind of know what the Nurk and Dame pairing can be. And you know, for the most part, what the veterans off the bench gave you and, and Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor, those guys aren't going to get much better. Robert Covington had a career shoot year uh the chances that he plays significantly better seem relatively unlikely and while norman powell took a step back from his career year that he was having in toronto overall norman powell had arguably his best season in the league you're unlikely to get much better out of norman powell so my argument is for you know what this team is going to be and you might have had some players already reach their peaks and headed for the decline and and the most important thing you have is one of the top 10 players in the league. You have Damian Lillard. And now it is time to build a team that makes more sense around him. So that's less CJ McCollum. That is shipping CJ McCollum out for size and length on the wing. That is more defensive-minded players off the bench. So not Anthony Simons, Carmelo Anthony, and Cantor, who are offense-first and maybe offense-only types, and defensive players around the wing. Like, I think what we've seen, uh, take the Atlanta Hawks, for example, is like they've got big they've got shooting and length around Trey Young so they have surrounded their smaller offense you know offensive inclined point guard who can who can break down defenses and score at all three levels does that sound like Damian Lillard uh, and I think Dame's just like straight up better than Trey at this point um with with just length at every spot you know six seven Kevin Herter and then uh when when healthy uh, Cam Reddish on the wing and uh, at, at certain point DeAndre Hunter, but also just like they're veterans of size. Bogdanovich is is big. Danilo Gallinari coming off the bench. He's he's not um, he's slow, but he's six ten and slow. Uh, you know. Uh, Anyake Okongwu, big and versatile. Clint, Clint Capella, a really, really athletic and big defender. Like he's, um, you know, they've they've surrounded him with size and length. And while you might be not don't have a clear second star, all of the parts make more sense. You don't duplicate much of what Trey Young does. You know, they got away a little bit with playing Lou Williams and Trey Young together, but for the most part, in the most important minutes, they avoided that duo. They don't play two offense only guards under six foot three. The Blazers almost exclusively do that in important minutes, and they don't have an option to go in another direction based on on 
you know, salary being paid to these guys and 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 talent behind them on the roster. Uh, if your best guard behind CJ McCollum on the roster is still Anthony Simons, you're not getting any better on defense. You're not getting better any better playmaking and all these things. It's time. So my argument would be it's time to blow it up to maybe take a step back in terms of overall like 2K rating talent to make the team make sense. Uh, my argument here for blowing it up and, and for changing it is that you know what this team can be. A Western Conference Finals type team. But the chance to take that next step forward involves taking a big swing knowing you might strike out. And this summer, in the most anxious summer of, of, of the Damian Lillard era, is time to take that big swing. Because if you don't take that big swing, you might strike out looking. Striking out looking always more embarrassing. So go ahead and blow it up. Go ahead and trade CJ, see what you can get for Nurk before he walks, and bring in better athletes, better size, and length at every spot. And and if you try to put a little bit more playmaking and a little bit more length with maybe the sacrifice of some individual offense in Carmelo Anthony and, and uh, CJ McCollum, you know, a lot of individual offense from CJ McCollum, maybe the sacrificing that like ability to go score, that sort of sh- shot creation for just better players around your heliocentric star in Damian Lillard takes you to the next level. Uh, heliocentric being being the sun that the sort of rest of the universe operates around that's become a basketball term but i think like even the science term makes this makes sense like the let dame be that guy let him be the center of the solar system and make the parts around him fit so my argument for blowing this team up is that you just kind you just kind of know you kind of know you know this team can be pretty good and i think you have a lot of um examples of this team being pretty good i think you could say confidently if we if if we run it back, we're going to be pretty good. But they shouldn't do that, is my argument. They should blow it up. They should do their best to trade CJ. They should drop Ennis Cantor and drop Carmelo Anthony, build parts that fit, and 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 chase that as aggressively, as aggressively as you possibly can. Go get length. Go get athleticism. And try to build the type of athletes around Dame that he hasn't had. The Blazers have rarely been able to chase down shooting and defense and athleticism on the wing. They've had just shooting. They've had they've had just athleticism. Try to go find both, and and try to go find both, even if it means you're sacrificing some of shot creation, which is arguably the most valuable skill in the game. Blow it up because you know what you can be for a chance of what might be beyond that. Blow it up because getting back to the Western Conference Finals and being pretty good doesn't guarantee Dame stays, and staying the course certainly seems a little bit dicier. Is it better to take a risk and say, hey, we tried, or is it better to say, hey, we think we can run it back and then find out you can't? In my mind, this summer is the absolute best opportunity to blow this thing up. Blow this thing up. I'm not talking get bad. I'm not saying, I'm not at the point where I want the Blazers to tank and get draft picks and all those things. I don't think that's necessarily even the path forward. I think once you have a player of Dame's quality on on the roster, you try absolutely as many chances as you can to, to get him there. But I just think this core, this group, you know what it can be and going to find other other parts that fit better that are that are like admittedly going to be worse on paper, like as individuals, um, my argument is that the collective sum will be more valuable. So blow it up because change is your best opportunity. Change is your best opportunity. Continuity, 
no longer valuable. You have you have extended the length of how of how much you can get out of continuity. They've had this group together, they've had Damon CJ together, and they've had Damon Nurk together and that trio together for a while. You've made the first step by changing the coaching staff. Jess, tear that band-aid off, go all the way, massive dramatic restructuring. Because if you don't, you might end up with the same fate. Obviously, this is a big risk. But what I'm saying is the risk is finally worth it. It outweighs the um, sort of more conservative approach. Or as as Neil Olshay once told me, the easy thing to do is keep it the same. This was uh, what he said prior to to um, the trades that brought in Hassan Whiteside. It's, this is the easy the easy thing to do is keep it the same. He recognized that that was a big risk. Now that one didn't pay off. But you could argue that uh, starting. Myers Leonard at center, who would have been your only center that season, other than Hassan Whiteside, would have ended pretty similarly and likely worse. Um, it was a relatively big risk, but you knew kind of if you kept it the same what what the other opportunities were. And the Blazers massively rebuilt the roster. It didn't work out. Now, I'm not saying get Hassan Whiteside, Anthony Tolliver, and Mario Hazonia back in here. I would, I would argue you try to get better players, but I recognize that a massive roster reconstruction with what the sort of Blazers have to work with comes with uh, limitations and obvious uh, challenges. But I'm arguing take the risk. Take it again. Go ahead and do it because it's your best path forward. What I want to talk about in the second segment is some real academic reasons, people who've really studied this using statistical models that argue that continuity, shared experience among NBA teams is actually not that valuable. And at some point it has diminishing returns. So that's what we'll talk about in the third segment, that academic journal that I referenced at the beginning of this very segment. Somehow I lost the word segment in there. Any, in any case, before we come back and segment two and come to segment three. Let's talk about Built Bar as the best tasting protein bar on the market. Built Bar's got a newly expanded selection with oh so many delicious flavors, so there's something for everybody. If you don't know the flavors, well, you're missing out because you're missing out on coconut and cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie and double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream and German chocolate. Each one of those delicious flavors comes in 100% real chocolate and it's got that candy bar-like texture. So if you haven't tried all the flavors, what I recommend is you go get a mix box. You'll get two of each of those flavors that you choose and you can kind of figure out what you like, decide decide what's your favorite and then order more from there. But Built Bars, the best, they're not only the best tasting Built Bar, they're also healthy too. They got 17 or 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180 and no more than five grams of sugar, which means that they have no more than five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all healthy, all tasty. Order yours today at BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That is LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. If you want to bet on sports, this is the place to do it because you can bet on literally everything. You can do it in real time. They've got live scores right there on the website. they got props on almost anything you can imagine so you can get in on uh, prop bets pregame. You can bet. You can live bet games as they happen. It's, it is all-encompassing and all you'll need. So you want to bet on the NBA Finals? Well, games two through seven are waiting for you if we get there, but they've also got Major League Baseball and the WNBA. They've got uh, soccer here and abroad. They've got UFC and MMA action. You name it, they got it. So don't sit on the sidelines. Get on over to betonline.ag. 
Use the promo code LOCKEDON when you're making your first deposit and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag. The promo code is LOCKEDON and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. We talked about what the Blazers can learn from the NBA Finals teams. We talked about my argument for a, a massive roster reconstruction. The Blazers, uh, you know, taking that big risk and trying to, you know, trading their core parts, trading CJ McCollum first and foremost, and then attempting to trade Yusuf Nurkic if you can get value for him and and you can re- restructure the roster so it makes more sense around Damian Lillard. And if that means uh, you get maybe a little bit worse on paper, you hope that the fit is is overall better. That's that's my argument for it, is that you kind of know what this team's ceiling is. Uh, and even if you believe the new coach is going to sort of raise that ceiling, is this team a championship roster as currently constructed plus Chauncey Billups? I think no. So I think you take the risk. You get as you try to you try to just get better. And if nothing else, you try to get a little bit different because you know you you know, you kind of know what you can get, even if you get every juice out of this orange you're a western conference finals team and maybe you need new parts and a new look to take that next step and and i land on that side of the maybe but that is just my opinion as, as a basketball fan and as someone who kind of lean toward leans towards generally towards continuity I, I i think it's time i think we've run it's we've run the course on what this particular group can be so Let's get a new group, right? Let's let's see what it would be like if if the Blazers had a new group. You you structure it around Dame. You try to maximize his strengths and go from there. But I'm not the only one who argues that sort of a shared experience and collective knowledge is perhaps not the most valuable way to build an NBA team. As I referenced in the previous segment, the uh, an article titled "Tacit Knowledge as a Source of Competitive Advantage in the National Basketball Association," which was. Uh, written or published in the Academy of Management Journal, Volume 45, Number One, published uh, November of 2017 by Sean L. Berman, Jonathan Down, and Charles W. Hill. What the authors are arguing in this uh, in this paper in in this in this article is that uh, there is a positive relationship between shared team experience or what what they argue is as part of tacit knowledge a collective tacit knowledge and team performance that declines as that shared experience grows and eventually becomes negative essentially holding a core of an nba basketball team in the in the short term really valuable you have the shared experience you can grow you know what you know what each other going to do you get better and then you reach a certain point where that shared experience that sort of collective tacit knowledge that you've all gained together by working together is no longer a positive and it actually has diminishing returns and becomes a true negative. Uh, they use the example of a sailing team. So this is like the idea of group tacit knowledge. It's not just sort of like technical knowledge, but it's not just like uh, you pull the rope this way to tack and you and, and in order to like uh, move quickly and win the win the race. It's like a shared knowledge based on rapidly changing and variable environments. Uh, the events happen so quickly that they're, it's, it's faster than sort of conscious thought. Uh, I think that sounds like basketball and trying to play basketball at a high level. Um, I think this sort of sailing team is a good analogy. Um, this is the the paper is more technical and sort of more um, more stats based than I truly understand. <laughs> I was a history major in college. Math was not my strong suit, even though people think I'm sort of statistically inclined. I like numbers, but I'm not a numbers cruncher. I'm more of a numbers reader, I'm a numbers interpreter, as opposed to a, like a, a just like a true mathematician. That is that is not my skill set, but. 
Uh, sort of what the paper argues is that NBA team performance is expected to decline beyond a certain level of shared experience. And initially, newly formed teams benefit from the the learning effects, right? Like you learn each other, you learn how to play together, and you do get better in the near term. But there are diminishing ret- returns to the experience that... Um, that are that are sort of like obvious stuff that we would that we would expect because um it's the diminishing returns because teams uh, like who have this high level of sheer experience will and and don't benefit from sort of the new talent that would come and present a new techniques to dealing with those sort of problems that other nba opponents um present is that players come players with like a bunch of shared experience become less willing to experiment with new ways of playing and rely more on their customary mo their modus operandi that they are accustomed to um and an individual efficiency of players declines as they become more complacent with their roles on a team with uh you know long-term contracts and things that are set in stone i think this sounds you know this is like there's like a lot of academic stuff to it but this sounds exactly kind of like what the blazers have suffer, suffered from right like the blazers offense under terry stotts was player movement heavy and ball movement heavy in his early years and like as they sort of had that shared experience together it totally devolved into them just not running enough stuff and them standing around and kind of relying on the individual strengths of their players um so the article continues that sort of like um, the knowledge that's created through players playing together declines just because of like the routines that they're in, right? Like th- that, and not only are those routines like kind of make them less creative, it's apparent to their competitors. Like people can scout. We know what they're going to do. When presented with this, they'll do this. When presented with traps, the Blazers will always react this way. And so we can do this. Like, I, I feel like this is exactly kind of what we've seen with the Blazers. And it's, and it's sort of um, my argument for blowing it up is like, you, you, you know what you're going to get and you know, and they're comfortable with doing what they do. And I think, um, I think Chauncey Billups can can be just a fresh eyes on a coaching staff can be a major impact, but is he enough? And my argument is probably not. Uh, in fact, in this article, they says that they, it says the authors say that uh, a new coach would help a team with a large amount of shared shared experiences and, and tacit knowledge, like exactly like the Blazers are. You know, they've uh, Damon CJ have played together for for eight seasons. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic joined the team in late 2017 and played you know full seasons since the 2017-18 season. He's been on the team. Um, and that actually adding a new coach to a team with this high level shared experience did was a positive variable and something that they studied. And the study included 23 teams from 1980, from the beginning of the 80-81 season to the end of the 93-94 season. Um, basically, there was less advantage to the shared knowledge the longer the group stayed together because the easiest gains come early in the formation of that group. So like you you when you add a new player, when you add a couple new players or you build a new team, like you, the biggest gains from sort of playing together come early. Uh, they, they last for a couple seasons. And then when you get deeper into those um, experiences, like deeper in those shared experiences, it has less, less advantages. And then maybe straight up, just, it's just a straight up negative effect. Like there's, there's, you win less with continuity um, and that an influx of new talent or a new coach are both extreme, like uh, obvious According to the study, obvious sign, obvious factors in helping you win more games. Um, coach experience is most valuable. Like coaching experience, like say a team with like um, a coach who's been around a team a bunch is is most valuable for uh, teams with low experience. So um, actually, I would I would argue this paper suggests that Chauncey Billups could be a big factor in helping this team win. So uh, maybe there's there's a case to say like don't totally blow it up because you've already done. 
uh, you've already done a lot. But I think like, I think this in general, like there's a lot going on here and there's, um, you know, there's there's some sort of stats that I'm not going to drag you through right now. But I think the basics of it are obvious observable things that we we as folks who've watched the Blazers closely or if you're sort of new to the team and kind of figure out what the deal is. Let me uh, let me walk you through it here a little bit. It's like this this group has kind of they've gotten a little stale. And while changing the coach will would certainly help them become less stale with new systems. Um, the thing that they need is maybe an injection of new talent. And if they bring back, if they run back the same group, you can only go so far because the, while coaching, while changing coaches is one variable that seems to impact winning, uh, an injection of new talent and new, and new players is, is, is really the biggest factor in winning. Also, one of my favorites, uh, conclusion from the study is, and I'll read this for you. Quality of players was the biggest factor in winning. So players play, y'all. The most important thing you could do is have good players on the roster. Uh, the idea that they sort of applied to, to non-basketball terms is like, at some point, high-quality employees make up for lack of experience. Uh, this study makes it clear that success is related to the ability to identify and retain talented employees. Players play. I say this all the time on the podcast. The most important thing you can do is have talent on the roster. And while this, this maybe suggests that like, uh, you know, having having continuity for too long is has diminishing returns and a negative effects. Like the most important thing you can do is just have really good players. Uh, they use the example of, of Magic Johnson joining Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Lakers as kind of like, um, you know, adding quality players and changing up this sort of Jamal Wilkes, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar group that had kind of maybe uh run its course in terms of um in terms of like veteran dudes playing together and the uh injection of of high level talent and uh and and someone who lacked the shared experiences of his colleagues like magic johnson just made the blazers or made the blazers made the lakers really good for most of the 80s um there's a relationship between shared experience and win percentage but and so for sure, like continuity matters to some extent, but like I keep saying, like there is diminishing returns at the limit of, sh of shared experience and it has negative effects. This is organization rigidity, as they say. And I think that's where, that's what I'm worried about with the Blazers. If the, if, if Neil Olshay, and it, it, it's been reported, I don't believe this is the case, but it's been reported that several Blazers, including CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, have been told that there won't be major roster changes. This is what I would call organizational rigidity. If they think it's only the coach, I think you are putting a cap on what this team can be. And I think this study suggests that there's like some real, like statistical correlations between teams that stay together and how much continuity can really benefit them. And I think the Blazers are getting sort of to the end of this reasonable range. I don't think it's like, I'm not saying you have to change every single part, but I think both sort of what would be sort of our intuitive guess as people who watch this team and a statistical analysis from 15 years of NBA basketball suggests that changing the roster hat there is real value in changing the roster. You look at the Phoenix Suns, they have some continuity with how long Devin Booker's been there and him playing with DeAndre Ayton and all those things. But like the biggest change was an influx of talent. Chris Paul pushed them further. Jay Crowder pushed them further. And then campaign pushed them further, right? Like um to some extent, Tory Craig helped them help them take a step, although I don't want to give him too much credit in the same breath as Chris Paul. Uh you could you could argue that the Milwaukee Bucks find themselves in the same way. Like they were stuck in this um 
pretty good doing the same thing, same coach and all those things. But the biggest factor in them taking a, a step forward this year is the addition of Drew Holiday. So while maybe I'm arguing here is like, uh, you know, blowing it up, what, what I really am arguing is for the Blazers to add a make an aggressive play to add talent to this roster uh, and new talent being the most important thing to add. Uh, you know, Anthony Simons and Nazir Little taking a massive step forward would help the Blazers a great deal. But it seems like to me that um, the the value of that is probably less, you know, having young guys take steps forward is probably less than, than adding like v- veteran proven help like adding a quality employee known quality employee being the the biggest factor so uh that is both my argument and the academic argument um i think you know uh i i'm not sure that's going to happen with the blazers you know i'm not sure that i'm not sure we get a massive change but i think uh I think there's reason to believe that it's the right it's the right way forward. I believe it's the right way forward. And thanks to Alex of Northwest Sports Balls for sending me this academic article so I can know that people much smarter than me who understand stats models better than I do can can would would sort of have found a similar conclusion. Um, I might not, not have always believed this, but I think now in my my sort of stage of basketball fandom, I I, I do believe that continuity is in general overrated. Uh, the be- the best thing you can do is have good players. Um, like uh, new parts will work, and that's that's I think what I've what, that's where I've come to with this. So. I hope you learned something. Um, this article is not free. You do have to pay for it. So I'm not going to encourage you to go p- pay money to like to find it on your own. Um, but it, it's if you are curious and do want to pay your own money, Academic of Management, a- Academy of Management Journal, and the article's tacit knowledge uh, as a source of competitive advantage in the National Basketball Association. Later this week. Uh, spurned by a question from a listener, I'm going to lay out what I believe would be an A-plus offseason for the Blazers. Uh, it's not a prediction of what I think will happen, but it's my prediction of if I were to turn around at the end of summer and say, wow, A-plus, aced it, could not have done any better, what that would look like. So look for it in your feeds later this week. An, what is an A-plus offseason for the Blazers? We're coming to you every day with off-season content. We haven't. We're not going away just yet. So stick with us. There's uh, there's more great shows later this week. So you know, come back, subscribe to the show wherever you already get podcasts, and come back for more. Also, tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. Will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.